I'm Christian Perez, and this is Modernity and Absurdity. exactly is a conspiracy theory, and where do they come from? Do shadowy all-powerful groups secretly control the world? This presentation will discuss some of the more popular conspiracy theories and the issues raised by them, like the relationship between ideology and certain supposed conspiracies. It'll examine how conspiracy theories have crept into the political and cultural mainstream, and what signs you should look for when evaluating a supposed conspiracy theory. We know that human history has been riddled with tales of conspiracies, but what differentiates them from conspiracy theories? Aren't these conspiracy theorists just being skeptical? I contend that grand scheme conspiracy theories are just lazy political science. But that could just be what they want you to believe. So before we jump into it, there's a couple definitions I want to start off with. The first one, obviously, is going to be conspiracy, which is a secret plan by an individual or group to seize power or resources. Now, later on in the discussion, I'm going to come up with another definition that's going to help that one out, but I think we all have an understanding of what a conspiracy is. And I think that a secret plan by an individual or group to seize power or resources is probably the most sufficient and concise definition, for now at least. Now, a conspiracy theory is the belief that major phenomena and events are the results of a conspiracy, that everything from 9-11 to the moon landing to John F. Kennedy's assassination were all staged and were the result of people conspiring behind closed doors to make these events happen. Now, the third word I'm going to look at is conspiracism, also known as conspiratorial thinking or the paranoid style popularized by Richard Hofstadter in 1964. But conspiracism is the belief in or advocacy of conspiracy theories, the belief that major historical and political events are brought about as a result of a conspiracy between interested parties or are manipulated by or on behalf of an unknown group of influential people. So conspiracism is the belief in conspiracy theories. And conspiracy theories are the beliefs that conspiracies drive history. And I think that that's a good place to start for now. So the first question I always want to ask all of my students when I go over this is, would you say you know any conspiracy theories? And what are some of the more popular conspiracy theories you've heard of? Some of the more recent popular conspiracy theories would be Pizzagate. Do you remember that one? The idea that, or the accusation that the Democratic Party had a child sex ring inside the basement of a crappy pizza parlor. In reality, we know the pizza parlor didn't even have a basement. And this unfortunate bad idea resulted in someone taking a gun into that pizza parlor and firing off shots, not hurting anybody, but firing off shots while families were in there eating. What about Jade Helm 15? Jade Helm 15 was this idea that the Obama administration 
was going to have maneuvers in Texas as part of a covert plan to impose martial law and round up the people of Texas using Chinese soldiers. I'm still waiting on that one. How about some videos on YouTube? You ever just type in crazy stuff on YouTube and see what pops up? There's a lot there. But there's a couple things we could talk about. Cryptozoology, ufology, this idea of exopolitics and pseudoscience, the paranormal, fake news. All of these things are related to conspiracy theories, and we're going to come back to them. But do you remember the first time you heard a conspiracy theory? 9-11 being an inside job, JFK being an inside job, the moon landing being fake, Aliens secretly controlling the government, Jews secretly controlling the government. You know, we've heard the terms globalists, New World Order, Illuminati. If any of these are ringing a bell, you've heard a conspiracy theory. I guess the most popular would be the idea that there's some secret cabal of powerful individuals, very X-Files of old white men sitting in a room. It's dimly lit. There's cigar or cigarette smoke, and they're pulling the strings of the whole world. And sometimes these people have a name. They could be the Illuminati, the New World Order. Uh, a lot of times people think they're Satanists. If you uh, are a fan of Alex Jones or if you're an evangelical, you probably think that there are Satanists uh, running around controlling everything. What about the Zionists? Uh, that's one that doesn't go away. There's this idea that Jews are these predators of history that are secretly controlling everything, when in reality, we know that that's just a lie perpetrated. Well, actually, it was a lie that began in the, well, in the Middle Ages and went into the 19th century, and it's still being used today to victimize Jewish people. How about the reptilians? That's one of my favorite. This idea that there's a race of reptile people that may or may not be aliens that are either uh, through psychic powers or military force are controlling our government and are running tests on people. I've heard stories of it going down at uh, either Area 51 or on Montauk in Long Island or in every underground base. The globalists, the globalists are uh, one that we're going to hear a lot. You're going to hear that one a lot on the right. Alex Jones uses it a lot. A lot of the uh, right-wing conspiracy theorists use that. Now, when I was in high school, and I was graduating and going into college, globalization was the buzzword, and this idea that the world was getting smaller. So globalism really is a loaded term. On one hand, it does mean that uh, as a result of technology, the world is shrinking. But if you're a nationalist and or white supremacist that is afraid of your job getting shipped overseas and you don't understand capitalism, the globalists, this amorphous, shadowy group of um, international capitalists, not nationalist capitalists, are slowly plotting against the American worker for whatever nefarious reason. Um, but anyway, I'm sure you've heard these terms, the Illuminati, the New World Order, the Satanists, the Freemasons, the Zionists, the Reptilians, the Globalists. Uh, maybe they're working together. Maybe they're working against each other. Maybe they've already taken over the world, or maybe they're trying to take over the world. In reality, we know that a lot of this is just recycled anti-Semitism or plain old xenophobia. A lot of the things being said about immigrants today in 2018 is the same junk that's been repeated for well over 100 years. We know that Satanists are, in reality, just dramatic libertarians having ugly sex. Uh, we know that they very rarely, if all, if all, exist in the way they're portrayed in popular media with, you know, the animal sacrifices and the, you know, child child sexual abuse and so on and so forth. Have you ever seen the owl on the $1 bill? 
What about the $20 bill that's folded in a certain way that it looks like the Twin Towers burning? Side note, there's this idea that we'll come back to that the people with absolute power, the people that are secretly controlling the world, are sending us these mocking clues. Or they're stupid. Or maybe there's someone on the inside sending hints. There's a couple different conspiracy theories uh, that have to do with power and people in power sending coded signals. And we're going to come back to that. We've seen this with this supposed QAnon conspiracy theory, which is a right-wing conspiracy that someone on the inside of the Trump administration is fighting for the little guy. Um, I think we've seen in the two years of the Trump presidency that he really doesn't care about the little guy and neither does anyone in his pre- in his administration. It's It's obvious at this point. How about the conspiracy theories? about Barack Obama, that he wasn't born in the United States and that he may be a secret Muslim or he's a communist or he's gay or he's a Satanist. That's one that doesn't go away. There was one where he was supposed to be the Antichrist, but every president has been called the Antichrist. Looking at his wife, Michelle Obama, she's been the target of some really offensive claims as well. Uh, None of them are really rooted in anything. They're always mean-spirited and just cruel and tasteless. And unfortunately, that's that's just what what he had to deal with. There are serious critiques of Barack Obama criticizing him for being black or a gay or a Satanist. They aren't grounded in anything. They're, they're just absurd. In reality, we know Barack Obama was raised by his white mother and his white grandparents in a white suburb. And they were able to get him into prestigious, mostly white prep school, which pretty much paved the way for the rest of his life. As I said in my interview with Diane Moxley on New Jersey Revolution Radio, Barack Obama is the custodian or was the custodian of the status quo. Barack Obama is not going to change or destroy or disrupt the system that allowed him to become president because it worked for him. How about the attacks on 9-11 being an inside job? that the victims and their family weren't real or paid actors, or this idea that a plane didn't crash into the Pentagon, or that jet fuel can't melt steel beams. These are all themes and phrases you hear repeated in 9-11 conspiracy conspiracy, uh, 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 proponents. And this idea of victims and their families not being real and being actors, you know, I talked about this in my episode on Alex Jones. This is a big issue with the Sandy Hook parents. Uh, This is the issue they had with Alex Jones. Uh, Last I checked, he was still being sued by the parents of the Sandy Hook victims. He had accused them of being paid actors and liars and shills. And then his maniacal twisted followers ended up threatening these people and they had to move a number of times. So it's not enough that their child was murdered, they have to deal with right-wing lunatics call them up and threatening them and accusing them of being liars. That's the world we live in. And to this day and now, I stand with deplatforming Alex Jones. He's a lowlife and he got what he deserved. But here's some more popular conspiracy theories. What about the JFK assassination? Have you heard about that one? I looked at a poll that said 51% of Americans believe that there was a conspiracy behind his assassination. And that poll was conducted in 2013. What about uh, alien abduction or vaccines causing autism or pharma and or the FDA withholding cures to powerful disease? Have you ever heard of the protocols of the elders of Zion? That's one of the big roots of uh, or one of the justifications for anti-Semitism in the West, at least since the 19th century. 
basically claimed that Jews were conspiring to take over the world. But in reality, it was a text written about Napoleon III and how he was supposed to take over the earth and, oh, I'm sorry, take over France. And it was found by some Russian anti-Semites, and all they did was replace Napoleon III for, for Jews and his supposed plot to take over France for the Jewish plot to supposedly take over the earth. And as I said, Jews historically have been the victims of violence and are more often than not um, um, the, the, those victims of violence. And many of the aforementioned conspiracy theories are still directed at Jews. And as I said, whether it's reptilians or, you know, the globalists or the bankers or any of these these things, it, it really all they did was substitute the word Jew for alien or substitute the word Jew for, for, for globalist or banker. And it's the same ideas that are just recycled. And again, th this is the problem with conspiracy theories. There's no new research done. It's the same old ideas getting repeated. And if that's happening in a discipline, quote unquote, discipline, then that's not a discipline at all. So humor me for a moment. I hope I'm not boring you, but I want to stop for a second and look into what political science is. Now I'm going to spend a moment. Now political science is a massive discipline and it focuses on, you know, the theory and practice of government. We look at politics at the local, state, national, and international levels. We're looking at local inst institutions like local municipalities and global institutions like the United Nations or the European Union. Uh, in political science, you're going to look at local municipalities and the movers and shakers there, and also the most powerful people in international politics. Now, when I say institutions, these can be things like community colleges, uh, K-12 school districts, city governments, local interest groups like unions and business organizations. Uh, institutions can be any number of things, and political scientists, sociologists, social psychologists are going to look at all of these, uh, all of these things. Political science also has a number of subfields, political theory, international relations, comparative politics, U.S. government, local government, public administration, constitutional law, public policy. What I'm hammering home is that political science is a wide-ranging discipline, and it doesn't end there. It's massive, and it's all-encompassing. Almost. It's related to and often overlaps with other disciplines like sociology, history, geography, demographics, psychology. Okay, and really quick, it is important to note that politics and political science are not the same thing. I, I tell this to my students, and generally, I don't like most politicians. But at the end of the day, political science is the study of politics. And if you really want to get into power and politics, two texts you could look at would be uh, the first would be C. Wright Mills's The Power Elite. It's an early sociological text, it's a classic of sociology, whereas Mills looks into the power of a local municipality. A second text, and it's mandatory in some of the courses I've taught, is Who Rules America by William Domhoff. And in it, he gets into how power is actually exercised in the United States. And if you were interested in the study of conspiracy theories and power, you're going to want to look into some of Domhoff's work because he actually has a piece titled uh, there is, there are no conspiracies. That's what it is. There are no conspiracies. And it's a great text. And he explains how a lot of the supposed motivations behind conspiracy theories are just not realistic. And he gives a lot of historical studies and he looks at a lot of historical times and, uh, and moments. And he's got a lot of research. He's all over YouTube. He's got a lot of books. I think you should definitely check him out if you find this stuff interesting.
anyway, political science, as I said, it's a it's a field that is connected to many other disciplines. And at its core, political science is a study of political power. But when I talk about power here, I'm talking about something called distributive power. And that's the power of one over another. That's the ability of A to get B to do what A wants. So again, as I said, political science is a discipline that's related to a number of other disciplines. As I said, history, sociology, psychology, geography, anthropology, economics. Um, it's related to a lot. And I'm being repetitive because I want to hammer home that political science is a discipline that runs deep. And there is this persistent theme among conspiracy theorists, pseudoscientists, fake news enthusiasts, new age types, uh, and regular old jerks on social media comment sections. There's these ideas that academics are just sitting in their ivory towers, making pronouncements about what's real and what isn't. And anybody in the discipline knows that that couldn't be farther from the truth. Research is done almost any day. Certain topics and fields from history to biology can get incredibly contentious, okay? I've been to some presentations where I went to a presentation one time where there was a guy who actually followed another guy around to challenge him as he went on a book speaking tour. So political science gives a number of explanations for power. Uh, there's actually a lot, but I'm going to touch on some now. Uh, the first would be the biological explanation for power, and it's this idea that uh, humans naturally form political systems and they, o they obey. So Aristotle called humans the political animal or the zoon politikon. I'm not going to try and pronounce the Greek. This idea that we need to come together for survival. Uh, this idea that humans are herd animals. We have leaders and followers like animals. And we could look to primates for, for some similarities. Politicians also tend to think they're alpha males, which is a serious issue. There are psychological explanations for power, and they're similar to the biological ones. People respond to authority figures. The Milgram study, uh, where, an, where as long as an authority figure okayed the procedure, people were supposedly committing horrific, I, don't, I guess, torture on supposed subjects, not realizing that they themselves were the subject. Uh, psychological sh studies show that people are conformist. Uh, the rise of fascist and uh, fascism and authoritarianism, uh, the, the, the Nazi Holocaust, uh, what's going to start happening in Brazil today. Uh, biological and psychological explanations both posit that politics is driven by needs that have evolved over centuries. We have a need to belong. We have a need to be in a group. There's also a cultural explanation for power, and it's this idea that behavior is learned through socialization, um, this idea that behavior is not innate and it's learned. Rational explanations of power suggest that people know what they want most of the time and they act to get it. I'm going to vote for this candidate because he can get me X, Y, and Z. He's going to lower my taxes. He's going to uh, increase my health care. He's going to increase funding for schools and so on and so forth. But then there's also the irrational reasons that, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the irrational explanations for power. Some people are just emotional. We all know people that follow their quote unquote heart. Um, it could be a friend, a family member. We all know people that are irrational. Uh, unfortunately, we know that this makes them easy, easily manipulated by symbols and mythologies. And if you look at fascism, nationalism, racism, religious fundamentalism, these are all irrational beliefs. And the adherence to these beliefs and ideologies, uh, they're not rational people, but they are incredibly emotional and they will follow their hearts even when it 
is not in their own best interest to do so. Unfortunately, that's just what we're dealing with. But conspiracy theorists, and this is important, seem to be either unaware or unwilling to deal with the complexity of power. So I could uh, mumble through these different explanations of power, like the biological, the psychological, the cultural, the rational, the irrational, and conspiracy theorists just toss them out the window. So conspiracism just tries to figure out how power is exercised, but ends up oversimplifying the complexities of modern society. They're going to blame societal, societal problems on manipulation by a handful of evil people. Again, the devil worshippers, the Illuminati, the NWO. And as I said, these individuals can be national or global in their reach. Sometimes they already have power. Sometimes they're already close to absolute power. We never really know. Uh, I guess we never will know. But this is not an analysis that accurately evaluates the systems, structures, and institutions of modern society. And as such, conspiracism is neither investigative reporting, which seeks to expose actual conspiracies through careful research, nor is it power structure research, which seeks to accurately analyze the distribution of power and privilege in a society. They're not doing their homework. They're not getting their hands dirty. So, unfortunately, some sincere people who would seek in social economic justice are then attracted to conspiracism. And I have a really awesome interview coming up with Tanzim Shanila, and you'll find out who that is. And she's going to talk about that. And she's going to talk about her experiences in the city growing up, being exposed to conspiracy theories and the influence it had on her earlier in her life. And this is important now. Conspiracy theorists tend to gloss over the fact that power is dispersed among millions of individuals, families, corporations, and other interests. So in their world, much like the X-Files, there's a bunch of people sitting in a room, smoking cigarettes, pulling all the strings. But we know that power isn't exercised like that. I could be a kingmaker in New Jersey. I could, as I told Diane, wave my wand and make the next person the Democrat or Republican uh, candidate for governor. But how does that power extend into other states? How does my power politically in New Jersey extend to California? Look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg. He was non-existent. Social media was non-existent 20 years ago. Now he's one of the big moguls. Elon Musk, right? That weird guy who's an engineer, who's always sticking his nose in other people's business, who's crazy egotistical. Where was he 20 years ago? Where has Standard Oil gone? Where has the Railroad Trust gone? Industries rise and fall. Powers dispersed among individuals, families, and interests. It's never this one small group of people controlling the world. So to reiterate and to backtrack, I want to ask again the question, what is a conspiracy? So again, the first one was a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. The second one comes from a book called American Conspiracy Theories written by Joseph Usinski and Parent, and I beg you to get that book. It is 100% necessary if you're interested in conspiracy theories, and it's been incredibly influential in my own work. And they have this excellent definition, and I'm directly quoting here. It's a secret arrangement between two or more actors to usurp political or economic power, violate established rights, hoard vital resources, or unlawfully alter government institutions. Now, that is a great definition of a conspiracy. So I want to beat into your head 
um, conspiracies are real. To be clear, conspiracies are real. I'm not going to tell you that they don't happen and that they're not happening now. Conspiracies are real. We can look at the assassination of Julius Caesar. You could look at the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. You could look at Nixon and Watergate. You could look at organized crime. They're involved in a number of supposed conspiracies. They are real. So this then leads us to some of the characteristics of conspiratorial thinking. And I'm just going to rattle them off. The first is that nothing happens by accident. There's always a reason for an event, whether it's an accident like Sandy Hook, whether it's the moon landing, whether it's 9-11, that it didn't happen by accident and someone was pulling the strings. The second characteristic would be that nothing's irrelevant. And you can go on YouTube and you can look at a number of videos that supposedly highlight uh, supposed conspiracies in uh, all kinds of everyday events involving entertainers like rappers, pop stars, politicians, actors. Uh, the third characteristic would be that everything has a sinister purpose. Everything is for uh, reasons that the Satanists and the Illuminatists and the Freemasons keep to themselves. And the fourth, and arguably one of the most infuriating, is that without evidence, scholars and scientists are accused of fraud. Uh, again, this takes us back to the idea that... Uh, uh, scholars are just sitting in their ivory towers making pronouncements. In reality, we know that this is an anti-intellectual idea. It's bitterness and it's angry by uh, anger on the behalf of on behalf of people who don't understand how the world works towards the experts in that field. Uh, there are a lot of or there is a lot of resentment unfortunately, and it has to do with uh, this idea that science and history don't fit how people see the world. But, you know, millions of people believe them. And unfortunately, this is the modern social media discourse. And I invite anyone, if they can stomach it, to read the comment section of, you know, any controversial news article. It's going to be out there. It always devolves into racism. It always devolves into sexism. I had a conversation today with some right-wing nut who, you know, ultimately just devolved into racism and sexism and you know, they never want to admit it, but they are, and it, it's there. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Eventually, I'll talk about the far right in conspiracy theories, but that's for a different day. So again, how do we know when we've come across a conspiracy theory? There's this really awesome podcast called Skeptoid, uh, and it's uh, the host is this guy, Brian Dunning. He's also got a really good book called Conspiracies Declassified, and he's devoted a lot of time to conspiracy theorists. So he's really given two requirements that a conspiracy theory must adhere to in order to be considered the type of conspiracy theory that we've been discussing. So, um, you know, for, for one thing, they're often vague. And from Brian Dunning, he says that a conspiracy theory or or this you know, this position that a conspiracy theorist has, it, it has to be specific enough to be falsifiable. Uh, vague, vague, I'm sorry, vague, vague claims are not acceptable. Um, in political science, we need evidence before we can make extravagant claims. And this is something that modern politicians, 
the president of the United States, uh, the current president of the United States uh, in, in particular, have a hard time grasping. You know, you can't just say the president's up to no good because eventually Trump is going to say something stupid. He's going to put his foot in his mouth. It happens pretty much every day, right? If you just say, hey, the president's up to no good, and then he says or does something stupid or shady, you're not really proving anything. You know, it, it, you're just making a claim, you know? But uh, if I say something like school bus number 33 blue is taking away children and that one's doing it, you know, we could pull this bus over. We could look on the bus. We could see if there's any kids that have been taken. We could do a background check on the shady bus driver. And, you know, if someone makes a claim that's specific and it's proven right, then they can earn respect. But when you make a claim, it can't be vague. You can't just say the government lies to us. Well, we know that all governments lie. That's the role of government. We know people in power lie. All right. The second requirement would be that the conspiracy must be known to the conspiracy theorist before it's discovered by the media or law enforcement. So I just saw the movie uh, yesterday uh, for the first time, I'm ashamed to say, All the President's Men. And Woodward and Bernstein did an intense investigation about Water Watergate. It took a long time. It took a lot of effort. And it's something that piece by piece led them to a conclusion. They did not make some, some, some wild pronouncement and then sit back in their chair and wait for everything to unfold, as they said. Proactive research. Proactive research is important if you want to be taken seriously. So if conspiracy theorists, people who believe in the Illuminati, people who say, you know, the government caused 9-11 or that... Sandy Hook, uh, the Sandy Hook massacre was uh, a, 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 a false flag created by the government or the Boston Marathon bombers were being mind controlled by the government. If you want to be impressive, if you're going to make claims like these, you know, you, you really need to make a claim. <laughs> you need to do the research. Uh, you have to get to the info first. OK, and you have to be able to prove it. And unfortunately, conspiracy theorists. They're often lacking in the evidence department. Um, if you think the government caused 9-11, how come the New England Skeptical Society can debunk everything you say? If you think Stanley Kubrick di directed the moon landing, why is there evidence that he was somewhere else when he was supposedly filming the moon landing? Never mind the time, money, and effort it would have taken to pull off something like that. And then the amount of researchers in the scientific field that you would have had to have convinced. The, the whole idea is kind of a joke. So I've got a bunch of questions to ask if you're confronted with what you think might be a conspiracy theory. I've compiled some questions from a number of different sources and I've put together a conspiracy theory checklist. So the first thing we're going to want to look at is logistics, okay? Um, how large is this supposed conspiracy, and how many people are a part of it? How many of people of them were needed to carry out this plan, uh, like 9-11, like the moon landing? What infrastructure and resources did it need? For something like the moon landing, to fake that, you need scientists, you need camera operators, you need actors, you need set designers, you need a whole host of people. And you're also going to need a lot of time and a lot of money, and you're going to have to answer the question of where that money came from. 
And if you're dealing with a lot of people like the moon landing, we're talking hundreds or thousands of people working in and around NASA. How are they organized? Okay, where are the secret conferences held? Where do they have their meetings? Is it every Friday before lunch they get together and have secret secret plans? Um, how do they keep track of membership? How do you know who's loyal or not? Okay, if they're organized through known channels or entities like the media, like the FBI, like the CIA, the so-called deep state, deep state. <laughs> how do they keep non-members who work there from uncovering the conspiracy? I remember seeing a play of the Diary of Anne Frank, and these people had to hide in the attic while there were people working downstairs. How do you keep people from uncovering what it is they're doing? And again, we're talking about intelligent people, people that work at NASA, people that work at the government. Um, I know they might not all be brain surgeons, but they're definitely not brain dead. So examining something like the Nazis pulling off the Reichstag fire, it only required a handful of men and a minimal amount of money. Something, again, like faking the moon landing would require tens of thousands of co-conspirators and all kinds of money. The assassination of Francis Ferdinand, the assassination of Julius Caesar, Abraham Lincoln, none of these required much. After logistics, we're going to want to answer the question, who benefits? Who gains from the conspiracy and for what price? We're also going to ask the question, is this the easiest way of gaining it? If not, why was it chosen over the easiest way? Right? We can compare the stabbing of Caesar over a civil war, which is something that eventually came. Right, The Roman senators have to ask themselves, we don't like Caesar. We don't like the power he has. It's easier for us to just murder him and all take it than for a civil war to destroy the empire. And eventually Rome did descend into a civil war. Looking at 9-11, why wouldn't the government just use a car bomb? Why not just replicate what happened in the original bombing? Why fly a plane? Why would you do all that when you can get the same uh, results by driving a car bomb into the Twin Towers? Here's another question. If it's an old conspiracy, who gains from maintaining it? 9-11 was 17 years ago. The moon landing was 50 years ago. There's been no mass group of people that have come forward. We're talking hundreds of people, not one or two old men on the deathbed claiming that he talked to aliens, but we're talking hundreds of people, people who don't care. Why haven't they come forward yet? That's a question we need to ask. Here is the greatest example I can give. Chemtrails. If the U.S. government wished to use chemicals 
to have effects at the ground level, right? Dispersing these chemicals high in the air would be incredibly expensive and ineffective way to do so, okay? And it would also be easy to detect these chemicals in the air. So this would require believing that, you know, the government or the Illuminati or the reptilians or whoever that is also incredibly well-sourced and competent and clever and well-advised, and they're also very stupid, right? So you have the money and the power to do all this, but you're going to do it in the most cost-ineffective and backward way. And it's, it's, it's just kind of absurd. If what you're telling me is a supposed secret, why is it on YouTube? Why are you calling out famous politicians and people like Kanye West and Jay-Z if it's a secret? So again, the government or whoever is intelligent enough to put this plan in motion, but Bob the YouTube guy can see through it all and is putting it on his YouTube channel with no backlash at all. Or how about the concentration camps that were supposedly going to be operated by FEMA, the people who couldn't even recover uh, after Katrina. It, it's, it's absurd. The belief that, you know, these people are so intelligent yet so unintelligent at the same time. Conspiracism is very much the backward version of political science and as such has relatives of its own. The first I'd like to talk about is pseudoscience, which is a collection of beliefs or practices mistakenly regarded as being based on the scientific method. Now, there's a lot of different subsections of pseudoscience. Some of the most notable would be cryptozoology, you know, the search for Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, astrology or numerology, homeopathy, flat earth, hollow earth theories, intelligent design, the Bermuda Triangle, channeling, which was a biggie, dowsing, extrasensory perception, or ESP, out-of-body experiences, gay conversion therapy, that's an incredibly dangerous one, scientific racism, and then Reiki, right? The idea that you can magically shoot heat from your hands to whoever. Another relative would be fake news, which is a type of yellow journalism or propaganda that consists of deliberate misinformation or hoaxes spread via traditional print and broadcast news media or online social media. Fake news is written and published with the intent to mislead in order to gain financially or politically, often with sensationalist, exaggerated, or patently false headlines that grab attention. So Pizzagate is fake news, Pope Francis endorsing Trump is fake news, and almost any time Trump freaks out about something, it's usually fake news. One of the most recent and, again, incredibly dangerous uh, fake news articles or ideas, because it wasn't an article, uh, rooted in the old apartheid era of South Africa is this myth of white genocide in South Africa. I actually had a student for one of her current events read that as a headline. And I felt bad. I ended up giving her an A on her presentation because she did everything she was supposed to do. But I actually had to like step in and explain to the class that there is no white genocide going on in South Africa. Here's a popular one that is all over YouTube. It's called UFOlogy, which is the study of UFOs. Also government cover-ups, Area 51, and something arrogantly called exopolitics, which is supposed to be the study of the relationship between Earth governments and UFOs, 
Now, I went to school for a degree in international relations. I took a number of classes and got a master's degree. I don't know where someone goes to study exopolitics. How about pseudo-history or forbidden history? Anytime you hear forbidden history, you know you're going to get a line of BS. So pseudo-history covers a whole variety of theories that don't really agree with the view of history that's commonly accepted by the mainstream historians, which are often not properly researched, peer-reviewed, or supported by the usual usual historiographical methods. Um, Holocaust denial is a biggie. Ancient aliens, right? This idea that brown people didn't create things, that aliens had to come down and show us. Uh, great flood myths. That, that That's a good one. I had a friend say to me one time, well, why does every civilization have a great flood or every early civilization why do they have stories of a great flood? Because all early civilizations were built near water. They were built near rivers. They were built near places that flood and can cause damage. That's why they all have these myths. And just because they all have these myths, it doesn't mean that they all grew up in the same you know, era at the same time and are all experiencing the same thing. It's, it's obscene. So one last tidbit before we're done tonight. You ever heard the phrase, the official story? Here's something to look out for. Be it 9-11, the moon landings, or the Boston Marathon bombings, phrases like the official story and the government's version of events are used in most conspiracy theories. No one ever says it's the the official story that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. It's simply our standard history. And again, this comes from Brian Dunning, who again does really good work studying conspiracy theories. He likes to use the example of the JFK assassination, and they say, hey, well, you know, the official story says that JFK was killed by um, Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, he likes to use the term standard model. It is our standard model that Lee Lee Harvey Oswald killed John F. Kennedy. It is our standard model that the dinosaurs once existed. It is our standard model that two plus two equals four. It's standard history and it's standard science. It's just something I want you to think about. Faults of conspiratorial thinking. Does belief in this theory require accepting the inherently contradictory premises that the conspiring entities are incredibly competent, stupid, organized, clever, and hopelessly incompetent all at the same time. So that concludes the first installment of our series on conspiracy theories. Thanks for listening to what is the first in a multi-part series. Initially, I had planned for three to four episodes in the series. However, after doing so much work, I've gotten more ideas for further episodes. It's a curse. Thanks for listening to this episode. I know that at times it felt like I was plodding along, but it was necessary to get the many points across. This Friday, January 11th, 2019, from 7 to 10 p.m., New Jersey Revolution Radio will be at Casciano's Coffee Bar in Hamilton, New Jersey. I will be giving a brief presentation very much related to this stuff at around 7.30. The entire New Jersey Revolution Radio crew will be there. The information will be available in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you there. As always, you could reach me at perezpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we're available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and New Jersey Revolution Radio. Goodbye.
After this, there is no time. You take the blue pill. Story ends. You wake up in your bed and whatever you want. You take the red pill. Stay in Wonderland. dictatorship it'd be a heck of a lot easier <laughs> just so long as i'm the dictator <laughs> talking about peace. 